Hi everyone, today we have a new podcast with a special guest called uh, Luke Shorts. I think he's joining us from uh, Colorado. And just to give you some background as to you know where this, this whole story came from. Back in February, uh, we were discussing internally and also with uh, other Linux gaming folks you know, what kind of predictions we, we might have for this year. And uh, the way we were doing that at the time was to ask people who were prominent in, in the world of Linux gaming, you know, what were their five predictions as to what, what will be happening in the Linux gaming scene by, by the end of 2021. And of course, when you ask those questions, you have uh, a lot of different ideas coming up, but they were common themes. And uh, one of them, one of those was, was clearly identified as being the fact that Chrome OS may be leading the growth of uh, Linux gaming by the end of the year. This was not the most common idea, but I think at least three or four different people out of 13, you know, mentioned this very clearly, specifically. And very soon afterwards, it was actually, I think back in March, if I remember correctly, Luke actually wrote an article on his blog regarding this very particular topic. The fact that you know, Chrome OS and you know maybe having Steam supports in the very near future because of a number of technologies moving around uh, you know at the same time and that's why we you know we were very interested to talk to him today to to further learn about this topic and to understand better how Chrome OS may be actually changing things for us also in the future. So before we we talk about the you know the whole Chrome OS and all the technologies that move along with it, I'd like to ask Luke to maybe introduce yourself first, let us know who you are, what you're doing and what led you to to be a Linux user in the first place. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm I currently work at VMware as a senior Kubernetes solutions architect and I previously worked at Red Hat for three and a half years. Basically my my current day job is I help customers to implement and design clouds for customers. And I also work heavily with our pre-sales team, helping to showcase to customers the potential value of our products and how we can help them on their journey from their legacy systems to getting everything to be, a, to be as cloud native as possible. I started my Linux journey way back when I was a teenager. I was looking for a free alternative to Windows XP my family growing up, we were very poor. So the idea of a free operating system really caught my interest. So some random form suggested, hey, you should try out OpenSUSE. It's, it's very similar to Windows. You'll really like it. And I installed it and I was, I was blown away. Blown away at the fact that there is this operating system. It was working and through Yast, through this, this package manager GUI, I could just install hundreds if not thousands of, of free and open source software so that's where this kind of seed was was first planted unfortunately as i found out quickly when i put my age of empires 2 disc in the computer and tried to use wine to run it didn't really work too well so not having gaming was a huge deal breaker for me so after a long fun stressful weekend i reformatted the hard drive and put windows xp back on but ever since then, uh, you know, when I was 18, I started my career in the, the cloud industry. And that's where I got really hands-on with Linux. So I got on the command line, figuring out how the internals work. And I eventually picked up Arch Linux, which I just <laughs> absolutely love. It has such a special place in my heart. I, I don't use Arch Linux anymore. I'm in Jaro just because quality of life, easiness. <laughs> but Arch Easier to set up in the beginning. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with Arch Linux, I, I run into problems like, oh, I don't have like cups installed. I can't like print things. Let me, <laughs> let me spend a few hours on that. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, I mean, I'm in a day and age where, where I want to, I want things to just work on my computer and Manjaro gives me just that. But for, for anyone out there who wants to learn Linux, either as a hobby or even to help you out professionally with a career, Arch Linux is the way to go. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and they have a great wiki as well to learn about, you know, the internals of the system and, and how package interact with each other. It's, it's probably one of the best reference out there. Absolutely. I think Gentoo is a pretty good way too to learn Linux. Oh gosh, I, I've I've thought about it, but um, I don't have the heart. I don't I don't have the time or dedication to to do that. But kudos to anyone out there who's who's rolling that. I, I have a few friends who who do use Gentoo Linux on a daily basis. Yeah, they uh, so, they have um, more free time than me. <laughs> so you mentioned you you went you know professionally into Linux, um, mm -hmm. and it's probably been also a single part of your your main occupation since then. When did you actually go back uh, into being a gamer on Linux? Was that more of a recent recent development? Yeah, you know, it was even before Proton came out. You know, I, I was always very excited the fact that Wine was starting to really mature. I think it was around 2014. I, I tried to make the full switch over to Linux. Couldn't they? They're just, there's few games out there that have, you know, they have those nasty anti cheat mm -hmm. software. It just doesn't work very well. So I've been, I've been dual booting ever since. But, but definitely once Proton came out, it's been such a lifesaver. I mean, every, everyone in the Linux community kind of knows <laughs> that. It's just such a huge quality of life improvement. And even talking to all my friends who don't use Linux, I mean, they're very excited about the prospect of Proton. Proton, and I've I've met a lot of people online who have said, you know, because of that, they were able to switch over, get away from the monster that is Windows 10. <laughs> so, um, as a gamer, do you game also on other systems? I think you mentioned your your dual booting, but do you also play on on maybe on consoles or or, or maybe like mobile phones as well? Yeah, I gosh, I can't get into mobile games. It's just I don't know. Maybe <laughs> that's not my generation. <laughs> no, it's not uh, mine either. They're they're very particular type of, type of game, and you know I'm looking for more of a full experience when playing, enjoying games. So I I remember very vividly as as a child, I went over to my grandma's house for Christmas, and she got me and my brother an Xbox. I didn't know what it was. I thought it I literally thought it was a cheap ripoff of a PlayStation. <laughs> 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 but you know get it, getting to play it and, and grow up with it i was like wow you know this this was a cool console so and and, and it being microsoft a lot of i liked a lot of microsoft games on the pc like the age of empires and halo was one of my favorite games growing up as well star Wars Knights old republic those were kind of big hits on, on both the xbox and pc so just growing up with that i love the xbox game pass i've tried it out i got a trial that's incredible. The value for that, like ten dollars a month, and you just get access to games, hundreds of like actually good games on your Xbox, and for a few bucks more, you can get access on your Windows 10 PC. So that's another reason why I got to keep dual booting. I I might dabble with that some more in the future. Apparently, in recent times, Linux gamers can have access to the Xbox Game Pass through their web browser. I mean, I haven't looked at it in detail, but I've seen some posts on Reddit of people being able to do that on Linux. Oh, wow. That, that's literally going to be a game changer. <laughs> so you said you're based in Colorado. Are you close to mm -hmm. System 76 at all? Have you ever had a chance to tour around that place? Oh, gosh, I'd love to. The thoughts <laughs> definitely crossed my mind. I do want to email them. However, COVID, I know things are a little bit more complicated. They're, they probably don't want to open up their doors. You know, I as as much as I, uh, I actually I've been wanting to get a seven, System 76 laptop for the longest time, but now that it seems like we're on the brink of gaming Chromebooks coming out, I have to hold off. <laughs> I have to give Google my money and support their efforts. But after that, 
I will buy a System76 laptop. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned, uh, I think earlier, you worked at Red Hat for a couple of years, right? Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about, about Red Hat, like the philosophy uh, as you were, uh, I would say, inside the company? Like, because I think they were really focused, uh, you know, on, on doing everything open source, this free software. And even before they, you know, they were purchased by IBM. So can you share anything around that? Definitely. Yeah. When I started off my career, I, I worked at a company that worked with a lot of Red Hat products. Actually, the company is very much a cheapskate company. So they use all the open source, the free versions of all Red Hat's products. And so I was like, you know what? It is my dream to work at Red Hat. I'm going to go work at Red Hat because they are the leading open source company in this world. And I got the opportunity to do that. And it was an amazing experience. I have I have no regrets going there. It was, it was such a fun time. It's, it's very interesting. The Jim Whitehurst, the CEO of IBM now, but previously CEO of Red Hat, he, he wrote a whole book about the open management, where Red Hat would take things beyond just open source software. They took it towards like management level as well, where it's like everyone in Red Hat, we're all smart people. We know that. That's why, why you're hired. Every, everyone has you know their expertise in, in their own areas. And it's about the best ideas win. It doesn't matter if you're hired on as like an intern. If you have a cool idea, then you can pitch it and it could potentially go up to the CEO and become a product one day. It's just like, Everyone is is treated very equally, and I thought that was that was very interesting. So that's um, kind of like how Valve works. Yeah, yeah. There there are a lot of companies out there. Valve definitely seems to be very open and receptive to employee feedback. And I think if you're not working on a company that's like that, you gotta leave. Honestly, those are the best places to, to work for. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny because my friends and I, we'd all joke that uh, we make a living selling free software, which is kind of true. You know, we're, we're trying to pitch to businesses, trying to close like multi-million dollar deals saying like, oh, hey, you know, here's this software that's free, but if you pay us money, you'll get the, the added support, better features, more stability, and kind of things like that. How important is the actual support for companies? Like, is it something that your your enterprise client actually really need? It's huge. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of companies starting off, they think, oh, we can get by with just CentOS or or now like Alma Linux or something, as in instead of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. But you know, crazy situations happen. When I actually I had left one company to go work for Red Hat, I got a call a month into my job from my old boss. And he said, Luke, oh my gosh, we're having an emergency. We have this network file system cluster that is broken and like we're gonna lose customer data and we need help. We don't know what to do. He's like, can you help us? Like can Red Hat help us? And my first question was, well, are you using the Red Hat product? or are you using like the open source version and they're saying yeah we're using the open source version and so because there there is disconnect in kind of the the features and and like the, it's not necessarily binary compatible I, I i talked to red hat and they're just like yeah we just we can't support them because they're not using our actual product like the open source stuff hasn't been tested as much doesn't have a like qa approval so at the end of the day you know they lost out because they weren't paying that support subscription so if they had that, it was one of their biggest customers too. Uh, they could have, <laughs> they could have been saved. <laughs> Interesting story. And so I don't want to, to take too much time on that, but like, what do you make of the, the IBM acquisition? Do you think it's ultimately going to be a good thing in the long term for Red Hat and, and what Red Hat stood for? Or do you think this will have, I would say, a trade-off going forward? Yeah, you know, a lot of people had concerns about the IBM overlord taking over, assimilating Red Hat, stripping out all of its values. I think if anything, I'm hoping long term, quite the opposite happens. I think that IBM over time will become Red Hat. 
I think that they will continue to embrace kind of the open source philosophy of Red Hat. And, you know, my my ultimate dream, and I, I mean, I have no insider knowledge of this. This is just like a dream of mine would be like, if IBM is going to continue with their power architecture, that they open source it. I, I think that'd be really cool if they could provide both open source software and hardware. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be interesting combination. On the topic of CentOS, I know this was at least a few months back, but when IBM bought out Red Hat, they kind of changed the model of how CentOS works. Now you have to use the experimental branch or something like that. I don't use CentOS, but I was seeing some discussions on this on the internet. How do you feel about the way IBM handled CentOS? Like now people are migrating to things like Rocky Linux. I don't want to necessarily place the blame. Everyone's always quick to point the finger to IBM. Red Hat actually is very independent from IBM, and they can kind of still do their their own thing. There's a lot more collaboration between the two companies, and IBM is really more so trying to say, hey, you know, you don't have to use Red Hat software, but it works best with IBM software and hardware. You get that kind of synergy there. But more specifically to the CentOS stream thing um actually i wrote a blog about why i I had switched all of my servers from centos to now be debian and actually i did this before i i didn't even know i didn't even know this whole stream centos stream was going to be the default and you no longer get kind of like a stable release but it's i'm definitely i am noticing a negative impact in the overall community people feel cheated they got a rug pulled out from underneath them because originally CentOS 8 was supposed to be supported for 10 years, but now, you know, they're saying that for like CentOS 8.2, I believe, was is now only getting like two years of support total. And I can tell you from, you know, experience, I've worked in, in upstream communities where we have used CentOS heavily for CI/CD testing. You know, there's a big difference between CentOS Stream, you know, what is like kind of a rolling release versus having a, a stable point release. So I see a lot of headaches for a lot of open source projects. I'd imagine a lot more people continuing to look at other alternatives. And definitely, you know, I'm very interested to see what happens with Alma Linux and also Rocky Linux as well. Now, onto the, the meat of the subject. So we invited you to talk about, about you know, Chrome OS and, and what's been happening recently on this, on this field. First, can, can you let us know a little bit more about, you know, why you, you're so interested in, in Chrome OS in the first place or maybe Chromebooks in general? Oh gosh, I love Chromebooks. I remember when they first came out, I was in college at the time, I got one of the first Samsung Chromebooks and it was, I, I thought it was ahead of its time. It was, it was less than two pounds. It was running an ARM-based processor and, you know, we're on like Chrome OS version four or five or something. It was, it was very new. And at that point in time, it was very simple. It was, it literally was that it was just a web browser. That's all I needed for school. I can get my work done with, with Google Documents, and even when it came to like my coding classes, there would be different websites online where you can actually run your code remotely to test it out, which you know was very very useful. So fast forward to today, like a lot of the same benefits I see are there, where you get this lightweight portable device, you get this battery that was, was all day battery. Even back in the day, they got that with that ARM processors that they were using, and they've just been continuing to grow and add on features. The fact that you can, you can now run Android applications and, and touch screens are very common on Chromebooks. I don't see a need for a tablet anymore because I, I just use my Chromebook. It, it fills that, that void for me. I, I even use it for development work. The majority of the time I'm actually coding on my Chromebook thanks to one of its Linux environment that it provides. 
One of the key features too is that security. Security is the biggest focus point for Chromebooks. The file system is read-only for, for Linux and soon Android as well. They run in virtual machines to help isolate them. So there's this layer of abstraction that's actually very similar to how Google handles the data center. All of their applications run in containers in virtual machines running on bare metal. So if there's a malicious application or malicious user that's in the system, they first have to break out of the container, which is really difficult. And then they'd have to try to break out of the virtual machine, which again, is like very difficult to near impossible. And then even if they're on the bare metal, then the, you know, that system itself is locked down. So there's basically like three layers of, of extraction and security there. And that's part of why gaming on a Chromebook is taking so long to implement because they're focusing on that security aspect. You can actually, today, you can use Krypton, which installs Chiroot of Linux distribution of your choice onto the system. And using that Chiroot, which is almost like a container, basically, you can run Vulkan applications today. You can run Steam with Vulkan support, but that's you have to jump through a lot of hoops. You have to disable, disable all the security settings. So what we're going to be talking more in depth about today is talking about how Google is implementing this new approach to expose Vulkan in a secure way to that virtual machine and into the container. Right. See, one of the surprising thing when, when I heard about Chromebooks being, you know, potentially a, a target of a gaming platform was that I had the image that Chromebooks were always these very limited machines in terms of memory, storage, and I would say even like processor-wise. They used to be in the beginning pretty, pretty limited. Nowadays, we definitely we've seen more capable hardware coming up. Things like the Google Pixel, I think they released like some very nice Chromebooks, which is not ARM based anymore, but actually Intel based a couple of years ago. And now I think there's a possibility that, of course, you know, if, if all this world can work, you could have some more powerful Chromebooks, you know, going forward. Do you think that's going to be the case that uh, you will see some some really capable hardware being released by Google or our partners in the future? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, when I when I was first kind of reporting on this, I got a lot of backlash from people. Very understandable. People were saying, "Oh, you know, Chromebooks suck. They're not powerful. You can't game on a Chromebook." And I totally agree. The Chromebooks that are out today are not gaming machines. Chromebook I have, I actually boot it into Linux through a flash drive. I have Manjaro installed in the flash drive, and I've been using that over the weekend actually even to do Steam in-home streaming. And I see that once Steam is like officially supported, they're also working on like controller support and pass through in their virtual machines as well for Linux. I see for old Chromebooks, the use cases, you can stream from your gaming computer to your TV or, or even just to your laptop and just play in bed, which is really cool. But, you know, yeah, we're starting to see a lot more Chromebooks with AMD processors and, and AMD has historically been pretty good about having good integrated graphics on their chips. And of course, the new mm -hmm. Intel Tiger Lake processors, although they've been out for a while, a supply has kind of been limited, but it looks like a lot more laptops in general and also Chromebooks specifically are going to be coming out soon with that Tiger Lake architecture. And it's very interesting as well because I was, Chrome Unboxed did this excellent review over this new Asus Chromebook that has a Tiger Lake. It doesn't have the fastest graphics. It's like a G4 instead of a G7, but still it has the best benchmark of any Chromebook ever. That model and, and many other models coming out are going to have G7, which is more of a capable gaming device. So I'm excited to see you know, how far we can take these integrated graphics. There's been a lot of optimizations in the Intel graphics driver recently, and Calabra has 
also been doing a lot of performance testing with OpenGL and Vulkan, making sure they're as fast as possible for a GL renderer. And there's one Chromebook, at least one Chromebook we know of in development that does have a discrete graphics card. So I'm hoping to hear more news about that soon. Google I.O. in, in a couple of weeks, maybe, maybe they'll announce something with that. So you don't I, know I, what kind of GPU it's using? No, all we've seen them through their public Git repository, there's, there's a commit mentioning they've added additional code to support a discrete graphics card in the Linux VM. So there's generic support. We don't really know too many details beyond that. I wonder if it would be one of those new Intel cards. I was wondering that as well. As long as it's not anything NVIDIA, because NVIDIA on laptops is always such a pain. Someone asked me, they reached out on Twitter. They're like, do you, do you think like NVIDIA graphics cards will be supported? And I think that's a hard no. I think Google is really going to be investing in the open source drivers because they're mm. so much easier to maintain and manage. I mean, it just, it just works out of the box. So I think as far as like gaming Chromebooks, I think it would mainly just be Intel and AMD graphics. Yep, it'd be largely up to... NVIDIA if they ever want to support Chromebooks in the first place, so there's mm -hmm. not really getting around that. So regarding Chrome OS support for making Vulkan application work in a safe way, as you mentioned earlier. So I think in your blog post you were mentioning several pieces of technologies that, that, that are needed to make this work. So can, can you go into more details and maybe explain it for the, the layman audience to, so they can understand how it works? Yeah, let me give the layman explanation and then I can get more into a little bit of details of it. But basically, a lot of different components need to be updated to understand and know how to take Vulkan system calls from the virtual machine and hand those off to the Chromebook itself, to the bare metal. And so there's a lot of a lot of pieces involved. You know, I, I've been reporting and talking a lot about VirGL renderer specifically, but you also need updated patches in Mesa and the Linux kernel, and also cross VM, which is their virtual machine monitor. Uh, it, it creates and monitors, manages virtual machines. It's, it's basically it's an alternative to QMU, which is what most of us Linux users are accustomed to. So um, yeah, one, one important thing to note right there is that QMU does not support Vulkan with the VirGL renderer right now. It'd be fairly relatively easy for the developers to add in the support now that it's it's baked in and, um, you know, CrossVM proves that it works. So all, all the foundational work is there. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, how that benefits the wider Linux community once QMU also has this as well. So you mentioned like these pieces are coming together. So how far are we from uh, having a Chromebook that can actually take the, the Vulkan calls and through, through a VM and, and run it on the bare metal in a proper way without too much loss of performance? I think we are so amazingly close right now. I've, I, you know, I've, I've been asking for help and working with a few people in the community and, and on Arch Linux, we, we were able to prove that it works. Like we were able to at least run tests with virgil renderer and, and show that they work in, in this virtualized environment with with cross vm and the latest unstable the canary channel of chrome os it's, it's currently chrome os 92 it's compiled in it's finally it's compiled in the vulcan support is there but it's disabled by default and that's one of the pieces i'm trying to crack right now is how do we at the very least maybe create a new virtual machine and enable that that vulcan flag and you know, see how that works. So I, I had to post a prediction out there. I think I think Chrome OS 93 will have this for two reasons. A, the fact that it's already compiled in to 92. I think they will continue to do further testing 
And then perhaps in 83, they might enable Vulcan by default. And based off of, of a previously leaked timeline, we're looking at like September, October for when they want to do a beta test. That's right around the time when Chrome OS 93 will be coming out. So I'm excited. I'm keeping a close eye on development updates for that. Unfortunately, my Chromebook that I have right now is actually going end of life. So it's it stopped getting <laughs> updates. <laughs> so um, I have to switch to like a, an upstream Chromium OS build. I'm not even sure if that would work with, with its spoken work. Um, but I'll be keeping a close eye on it. And I hope to pick up a new Chromebook soon to continue hacking away at this. When it comes to Chrome OS there, so you mentioned that some devices will be end of life. So like, how do you actually plan for supporting, you know, existing device versus like newer device from now on? Like, uh, how, how does how does actually work compared to a, a regular Linux distribution? Gosh, Google really locks down their, their system. You know, it all goes back to that security thing. So if your Chromebook is end of life, that's it. There are rumors that there's this work they're actually doing where they're trying to take the Chrome web browser and extract it from Chrome OS. So the current rumor, Chrome Unboxed is, has been talking about this a lot, is that even when Chrome OS itself goes into life, your Chrome web browser will continue to get updates. So that's something. However, in my regard, uh, as a tinkerer, you know, I've, I've unlocked everything. I've disabled all the security features on my Chromebook so I can be a power user on this thing. It's it's a normal computer. You can just wipe the operating system and, and install something else on there. One thing you mentioned, so so technology-wise, like from '93 or so uh, of the Chrome OS version, you think it would mm -hmm. be possible, technically speaking, to to do this kind of VM that enables uh, you to run Vulkan through through the VM and to the bare metal, right? How about the delivery itself of Steam on the Chrome OS platform? Like, how is that gonna help? Taking a similar approach to how. Linux is isolated in its own virtual machine. Steam, uh, there's actually there's a lot of reference in the, in the source code. There's a lot of talk about it on some of the Chromium bug and feature reports. Borealis, a nod to this famous vessel in, in the Half-Life series. <laughs> Borealis is the name of, of this new feature. So it should be as simple as it'll just be another application on the Chrome OS dock at the bottom, and then you launch it, and it's as it is today, as what we can tell from the source code, it is an Ubuntu 18.04 virtual machine that has a few tweaks to it and has Steam pre-installed. So combine that with the recent Vulkan work. They've also, there's a recent commit that has it set. So when you open up Borealis, it turns on the game mode. So it prioritizes the related processes for, for your game and for that virtual machine over your actual base Chromebook because they want to make sure that your games are running as fast as best as, as possible. Became. Who is developing this Borealis image? Well, that's a good question. I, I mean, I don't know the specifics of it, but it's, I mean, it's being worked on in the Google repositories. So I can only imagine that there has to be some kind of heavy collaboration between Google, Valve, um, and also Collabora to get all this working. So when we're talking about Steam through this virtual machine, are those games actually being played directly through the virtual machine or do those games have to be streamed to another machine? Right. So a very interesting thing from like the Virgil renderer work was that uh, there were a few comments from the developers where they were actually, they were testing out actually playing a bunch of Steam games using the new Vulcan pass-through. So 
the main one they were testing was Dota 2. So they're they're actually playing a game. They're playing one of Valve's babies too. It's up and running, and the, the latest benchmarks we actually got are very promising. We're looking at only a 10% penalty for running it in the virtual machine versus bare metal, which is insanely impressive. Oh, that's nice. And this is on yeah. a uh, Tiger Lake processor? Oh, I I don't think it was a, a Tiger Lake. It was an Intel processor. I think it was a few generations old. But, I mean, results are going to be even better on Tiger Lake for sure. Do you expect Valve to, to actually publicize all this kind of efforts when, when this come to, to fortune, I would say? Or do you, say, do you think this is more of a Google project and, and Valve is simply helping them out there? Like, what do you think the kind of collaboration is actually happening behind the scenes? I think it's going to be a win-win situation for both Google and Valve, and I think they're both going to market the heck out of it. I imagine that on the Steam store page, just like back in the day when you can buy Steam machines, I bet you could buy Chromebooks that are optimized for gaming on All the right. Steam store. It's an interesting idea. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's what's very interesting, you know, going to the, uh, the 2021 predictions that you have up on, on the Boiling Steam, the CEO of Code Weavers, they're, they're the main contributors to Wine, as most folks know. A lot of what he had to say I think directly correlates to Chromebooks becoming the gaming powerhouse. I mean, he was, he was talking about how he, he expects Linux gaming and Chromebooks to kind of be more popular than Stadia in 2021. He said, this year, we can look back to this year in the future and say, this is kind of the start of Linux gaming. And the third thing he said, he's like, he says, hey, I predict by the end of the year that we'll be able to understand kind of a timeline in the future where it'll be likely that Linux gaming is like actually a viable option. And I think these all kind of line up with, with Chromebook. I mean, if you're able to game on a Chromebook, that is, that is as mainstream as, as we could possibly get in this day and age. So <laughs> excited to see, uh, you know, what further announcements and, and what everyone, you know, Google and, and Valve have to have to say and offer about this in the future by the end of this year. One of the interesting things with having container kind of um, virtualization is, would that make it possible, for example, to stop right in the middle of a game and then restart the, the container at any point in time is exactly in the same state that you left it? So I don't know if they're going to bake that support in. I can tell you at an enterprise level, that's something I see a lot. I mean, that, that's very common where mainly the use case in the enterprise is that like you need to move a workload from one cluster to another. You can, you can actually just save that state of RAM to a file and then migrate everything right. over to a new virtual machine. In terms of Chromebooks, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't heard of any work being done on that, but you never know. Oh, that could be possible, right? Yeah, it's totally possible. So let's say uh, tomorrow uh, you have a new hardware, a new Chrome OS uh, slash Chromebooks hardware coming up. Uh, what would be your, your wish list as to what kind of hardware or capabilities you'd like to see to make it into a viable, I would say, gaming platform? Oh, yeah. Funny you ask. I actually have a, I have a list of my <laughs> of things I want in my dream Chromebook. <laughs> you know, as, as far as it... I actually don't necessarily want a graphics card myself. I, I do hope that they really do come out with Chromebooks with graphics cards. I see a Chromebook as the ultimate portable traveling machine. I used to travel a lot for work. I expect to travel some more once COVID lets up a little bit. 
So the Tiger Lake graphics with their their G7 Iris Pro graphics are, are just really good. My friend actually came over to my house yesterday. He had a dedicated graphics card in his laptop, which was actually my first gaming laptop. I gave it off to him. I looked it up. His graphics card, an 850M, was <laughs> just as powerful as this new Tiger Lake processor in terms of graphical processing power. And I was, that, that right there just kind of like blew my mind because I was, I was happy playing on, on that thing, low to medium settings, like just fine, just like traveling on the go. Beyond that, though, I, I really hope to see more in terms of like storage expansion. There actually has been work and I've tested it myself. You can like basically plug in an external hard drive and add it as additional storage to your Linux virtual machine in Chrome OS. So I, I've always thought of that as like, oh, well, that makes sense that they added that feature. Like you can have your, your entire Steam library on like an external hard drive and just plug it into your Chromebook if you happen to be like low on space. And uh, th that's actually something I do. I have most of my games installed onto a hard drive that I just switch between different computers at any given time. Anything else you're missing from what's a regular notebook on the Chromebooks? Not really. You know, I'd say especially a lot of the a lot of the really good Chromebooks are. Yeah, they're basically, you know, I forgot, I forgot the exact term of it. Intel keeps changing it, but in, it basically Intel has like strict standards for like what can be classified as an ultrabook. Like you need, you need like uh, nowadays, like you need USB-C and it needs to be able to charge through that. It needs to have like a processor that doesn't suck and you need like NVMe storage and all these like really strict requirements. Well, we've actually seen that has come over to the Chromebook world as well, where that strict standard is applied. So you see premium Chromebooks such as the Galaxy Chromebook, which is really nice. That sets such a, such a high bar. So, I mean, in terms of, of hardware, Chromebooks are, I think they're good. The hardware, at least for entry-level gaming, a lot more of that we'll be seeing real soon. Now, the interesting question is, what do you make of additional competition from ARM in the space of processors? We've seen Apple uh, moving to the M1 and I think uh, M2 platform, where they, they are able to actually execute x86 code as well through uh, emulation layer. So what do you think this means for, for Chromebooks going forward? Do you think you will still see x86 as being the, the, the main platform for, for most Chromebooks? Or do you think this is a, a chance that you know, we may see a renaissance of ARM Chromebooks in, in having some kind of emulation layer that enables most of the uh, x86 binaries to run on it? Just like, I mean, especially for games, it's really important. Yeah, that's a really great question. That's something I've given a lot of thought to as well. I think in the short term, there's going to be clear kind of separation of like, hey, you know, especially if, if you want like a gaming Chromebook, you have to go with the traditional like Intel or AMD processors. But then, uh, yeah, I think I think ARM's really going to be taken off now. And there's been rumors that Google, has, you know, they're making their own silicon. They're probably going to go on their phone, might even go on their next official Chromebook. That'll be interesting to see. I'm especially curious to see, you know, if they're going to come out with gaming, like, are they going to try to play the angle of going with like Intel? And then saying it's a gaming Chromebook, or do they go with ARM and say, hey, this has longer battery life? I don't know <laughs> what they would go there. But I, I think long term, Google probably would drive the way for getting traditional like x86 applications to, to work on, on our ARM platforms and, and stuff. But probably nothing we'd see for at least a few years.
One thing I'm interested as well. So you mentioned like Google may be interested to publicize the fact that they can run Steam and so on, right? But how does it play with Google's gaming strategy, right? Because as uh, Google expands, you know, in, in Stadia, which is the cloud gaming solution, as well as, you know, uh, on Android with, you know, the multiple games they have on the Google Store, I mean, the Play Store, they basically are already have their own ecosystem where they, they distribute their own games or at least games from third parties on their own platform. So why would they go out of their way to support another company's platform uh, on their own devices? You know, it puzzles me too, but I, I have a few predictions. And so one thing I do want to say is like, you know, you keep hearing about like executives, like leaving Stadia and then Google, like closing out their own studio and stuff. I do wonder if one of the executives who just recently left the other day, if it's because in a few weeks they're at Google IO, they might announce those steam machines because it's, it is in a sense shooting them in the foot. On the other hand, though, I, I see this as an opportunity of Google is just trying to expand their user base as much as possible. So they, there's recently like some kind of hardware survey that went out where they were able to deduce that Chromebooks, you know, especially due to COVID-19, have taken over Mac in terms of popularity. And I think a lot of that has to go with the with the price of them. And, you know, especially, you know, I see schools are the major target for them right now gobbling that up so i think they're just trying to do whatever they can to provide as much features into their platform to make it as appealing as possible for people to uh, to move on over are we sure it would be limited to laptops isn't there a possibility that google expands to having this kind of uh, you know mac mini hardware that can also play games Yes, that is a really great thing you bring up right there. Yeah, so so Chromebooks, they, they also have Chrome boxes, which is basically like a Mac mini you can buy. Those do exist. More of those come out all the time. I, I definitely see that as kind of, you know, also additional market they can they can tackle. What's even more interesting is that they just bought out a company called Neverware. And what they did was they provided a redistributable, they took the open source code for, for Chrome OS, which is Chromium OS, and they rebuilt it to provide their own operating system. And with that, you can try it for free, or you can you can pay a subscription for, for enterprise level support with that. And so I see long-term, I think that they're going to take that a, a step further where Chromium OS has a few limitations. The biggest one is, is it doesn't support Android and it doesn't support the Google Play Store just because there are some weird licensing issues with that. So now that Google just bought them out and they own them, I think we can see the adoption of Chrome OS outside of Chromebooks, where you can be able to install Chrome OS on any machine and be able to play games or just use it for your day-to-day -day life. So I, I think that's a huge market they could potentially tap into now. That would be a kind of sanctioned Google distribution of, of Chrome OS, basically, outside of the, the, the pure hardware-related uh, distribution. Yeah. That would mean a lot, a lot more work as well to maintain this across a lot of different configurations, I would say. Definitely. I, as it stands today, Neverware 
they only support they don't they don't even support Chromebooks. They say, you know, if you have an end of life Chromebook, it's end of life, end of story. <laughs> but there's you know, they, they basically support almost every Mac, especially older Macs, which is very interesting. And also like a handful of I don't remember the exact partners, but few manufacturers. So I see I see a lot of opportunity for for partnerships for expanding that out. It would be really complicated to just hand out Chrome OS because just just like any Linux distribution, it's not necessarily gonna work on everything. So it's just something to keep an eye on for now and see how, how Google plays its cards with this acquisition. So how do you feel about devices like the Pinebook, which are kind of branded to be this alternative to Chromebooks? Have you ever had a chance to use a Pinebook? I've used like Pine64, a single board computer similar to like Raspberry Pis. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're great for clusters. I use them for Kubernetes clusters at home and little projects. I'm, I'm actually working on a Christmas tree light project for the holidays <laughs> right now. Starting early. I didn't start early last year and um, <laughs> all the supplies I needed ran out. So I am starting early. <laughs> Pine books. They're really fascinating. I've almost bought one myself. I, I think they're so cool. But every, every review I ever read about them is kind of the same, where it's like Raspberry Pis and any other single board computer, they just haven't gotten to the point where they're powerful enough to be your daily driver. And part of that is like you get what you pay for. You know, with like a Pine 64, I think you can get it for like 20 bucks or something, something incredibly cheap. And even they're like higher end, the Rock 64 is like 60 maybe 80 dollars at most but you know compare that to a mac mini the i think the starting price for that's like 800 dollars for the for the m1 chip well you're and you're paying for like three four hundred dollar single board computer basically plus the casing and, and other accessories to that so i would love for either the pine company or or, or raspberry pi foundation or someone to just come up with like an m1 competitor and 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 sell that i'd love to see it but as it stands today, yeah, you get what you pay for. A lot of the single board computers are just cheaper ones out there. I think it's, it's probably coming because um, even on Android, we see, I mean, a really, really powerful hardware uh, behind the mobile mm -hmm. phone. So uh, I think it's, oh, yeah. it's only a matter of time and, until like some of that crosses over to, uh, to being an actual PC platform, uh, whether it's run Windows or something else. Yeah, honestly, mm -hmm. on, on that note, I actually, I almost think laptops are like, a waste of resources <laughs> or like my dream. And I know there are a few devices out there, but I haven't found like the perfect one. I just want a phone. I want my super powerful phone and I want to be able to just hook it up to some kind of clamshell dummy device that just has a screen and a keyboard and then just use that as my laptop. Because I, you know, especially when phone prices are costing, like you, know, you can pay over a thousand dollars for a phone these days. Like why not just use that as your computer? And, and so I'm hoping to get a Samsung phone next, which they have this DeX feature where you can you can do yeah, just yeah. that desktop environment. As a developer myself, it's like this is a great way for me to do ARM development, especially when I get all these cores and they're super powerful. Mm -hmm. I can compile my code in no time. That's true. You can actually uh, run SSH to your your own uh, mobile phone and with Termrix, for example, and actually run a lot of programs directly through uh, through SSH. So it can be very powerful to yeah to compile or even do development on on the phone itself. Totally. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a great use case right there. So coming back on, on the, the subject of Steam and Valve, so you mentioned that you know probably these kind of pieces are moving and and Google is probably going to announce something later this year. What does this mean for the rest of us, I would say, regular Linux distro gamers? There, there's been such a 
big focus on them on like performance optimizations at so many different levels in the graphics drivers and the Linux kernel, all these different areas that they need to touch in Mesa. I mean, it's all upstream work. This is all going to trickle down to us, the Linux gamers. You know, they're supporting game mode with Borealis. Like that's only probably going to get, you know, more tested, more features, hopefully. So I think it's really exciting because this is kind of like the start of another huge corporation who's not just Valve. We now have Valve and Google helping to lead the way for for new features and, and more innovation in the Linux gaming space. So you, you would say it's going to be a, a very positive as well for, for regular Linux gamers? Absolutely, yeah. And especially with a lot of, I've, I've read a lot about how Google, for both um, the Android and their Chromebook segments, they, they want to start, they're trying to make more of their work upstream and available for all Linux distributions. It makes it easier <laughs> for them and also helps out the community. So things mm -hmm. can only get better from here. Great, great to hear that you're on the same page. <laughs> For Chromebooks, you know, most experience I've seen is a lot of, you know, students in educational places have it. So that, you know, you were talking earlier about the prospect of it becoming an easy game machine. I think you get, you know, the games, especially the popular kids who have Chromebooks from school, um, whether or not they can officially put Steam on it or what, if that becomes possible, that's a huge huge market of people then, you know, grow up maybe using Chromebooks as gaming devices. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Luke, when you mentioned that, just thinking about, you know, that space and thinking of games like Dota 2 or something, which are popular, especially in those age demographics, that'll be really interesting, really interesting to see. I mean, I haven't used Chrome OS before. So a lot of this is kind of as, as I was just asked, thinking about what the effects are for everyone else in terms of the stuff that will make it into the kernel or wine. Um, and how Steam will function. I know Steam, as you mentioned before about the container, they've been moving more to this containerized Linux runtime for Linux games, which has been a bit of a change. And I know it's caused some people some issues with getting things to work, I think, a little bit, because the environment's now separate from your main environment. Do you think those those things will also come in Steam on regular Linux in terms of that compartmentalization and virtual machine work? I think if, if you want to put in the elbow grease, you could set it up for for yourself however it's i think this is a very chrome os specific implementation because mm -hmm. i mean behind the scenes it's using it's not using qmu it's using cross vm and also there's just a few other layers of, of abstraction that like chrome os kind of has uh, mainly just for that security kind of aspect so i, I think you know as, as as far as like a normal linux gamer we won't see too many changes except through the various different projects they're touching those are just going to continue to get better with time I also think it's it's funny that you brought up the kids at school with Chromebooks, like gaming. One of my best friends, he's actually a middle school teacher, and every student in the school is fortunate enough to get a Chromebook to help them with remote education during COVID. And so, yeah, my my friend says he has a lot of trouble to, dealing with the kids because they always want to play Minecraft and other games yeah. on, <laughs> on the Chromebook. So it's only going to get worse for the teachers. <laughs> I mean, it's always the battle. I mean, for us, it was, you know, we didn't have Chromebooks, but in the computer lab, it was putting on Quake or something and trying to play during class or whatever it was. Not that I ever did that, of course. That was a good thing, but, <laughs> oh, um, yes. I, I have very fond memories of putting Counter-Strike on my school's computer. Mm -hmm. And I, I was smart enough. I renamed the executable to be Windows Diagnostic Tool. And, <laughs> like screensaver or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something bogus. And then they did a scan of like all my friends' accounts and mine. And I was the only one who didn't get caught because <laughs> I renamed it. <laughs> 
those are good times. And that'll be interesting to see, you know, thinking about kids growing up more with not realizing they have contact with Linux and stuff like that. And they're used to tweaking and trying to break out to play games or whatever it is. And they'll learn that kind of experience. We learned it, you know, on Windows, right? On how to tweak files, get things running or on calculators, right? The TI calculators, that was always yeah. a big thing to, to do. So I wonder if, you know, in the next bunch of years, kids growing up and they're hacking on Chromebooks and stuff like that, what that'll mean, you know, going forward, that alone could do a lot more for mainstream Linux gaming and hacking and stuff than any of the stuff we're always going on about, you know, on Steam and desktops and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah, as it is today, if you walk up to a stranger on the street, and you're like, hey, you know, Linux, and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that could very, that could very well change. And it's, it's very interesting I've, I've talked to a lot of my friends on one side of the spectrum i have my friends who are are frugal and they just need to save some money on the other side of the spectrum i have some friends who are, are really diehard apple fans but they both can really appreciate talk to them about the this, this gaming work and they, they really appreciate that i mean they both want to get a chromebook now they, you know they, they're like wow this is cool like i can game on a chromebook and like also get the benefits of like the portability the long battery life and then on the apple side of the spectrum it's like hey like apple doesn't actually care about gamers and it's becoming increasingly harder to game on mac so chromebooks is this alternative avenue for them which is which is very exciting that we all have options yeah, it's true. What do you see outside of the, the realm of Chromebooks? Where do you see Valve taking things forward from there on regarding, I mean, Steam, Proton, and, and more? Do you have any, any picture of where it's going? Yeah, that's a very good question. Very open-ended, too. Everyone wants to know, what is Valve thinking? What is going on in Gabe Newell's head? <laughs> <laughs> and if nothing else... They they honestly don't want to be tied to one platform. They don't want to be tied to Windows. They don't believe in the kind of privacy nightmare Windows tends to become. The update nightmare has also become. So I think branching out into you know these different ecosystems will help them you know stay around and be relevant as a company. And beyond that, you see a lot of news, a lot of investment, and in them improving their streaming efforts. I wouldn't be surprised if they had some kind of Stadia or Microsoft yeah. Project X Cloud competitor where you can just stream games off of their yeah. own servers. It's not a big secret that they're working on that. Yeah. Yeah. Really? So, where did you know that? <laughs> My intuition. <laughs> <laughs> The streaming stuff is is big. I mean, Mac gamers, my, my brother just has a, a Mac. And the other day, decided to try out uh, the NVIDIA GeForce streaming. And he was, you know, up and running in, in a few minutes in the queue, bought a game, and we were playing Valheim just like that really quick. And, you know, for Macs, you're pretty limited these days in what you can do for a lot of games. So that's the seeing the Chromebook as a cheap option of like, oh, here, just have this to play some games. I think, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. And for, I mean, for Valve, it makes total sense to move to, to cloud gaming as an additional stream mm -hmm. of revenues or, or platform or two, because then the platform doesn't matter anymore. It can be virtually on anything out there, phones, you know, Windows, laptops, or, or whatever, like Mac as well. So you, you don't really have to make any particular client for each machine out there anymore. Yeah, basically only uh, one cloud gaming client that would be the main thing. So I think that's why it, it makes the most sense for Valve to be there as well, to not be tied to a single platform anymore. Definitely. And mm -hmm. on the on the Mac gaming front, 
Uh, I actually have a project up on my GitHub called Mac Linux Gaming Stick. And I've basically have just set up Ubuntu in such a way that it's heavily optimized for gaming. It has all the tools that I need to help remotely troubleshoot my, my friends' devices. So I've been, I've been setting up, installing Linux and flash drives and handing out to friends and I've been getting a lot of great reception from that. And one of my main friends, I, I gave it to him so that we could play Halo together. And it's been working amazingly. We've been playing the, the Master Chief Collection. He just boots into Linux from his Mac. And it's like, well, this is this is cool, and <laughs> it works most of the time. <laughs> you know, Linux can be finicky, but you know, I can go in and troubleshoot and fix the hard issues. Once Project X Cloud comes out to the masses from Microsoft, I'm hoping to get him a subscription to that too to see, you know, how that is in comparison. Because as much as I personally don't want the cloud streaming future, I I like owning my games and having them forever. I I think I will have to throw in the cards and just accept that that's our future. <laughs> I don't think everything is going to be cloud gaming in the future. It's probably going to be uh, fragmented. It will be some options cloud gaming, some options to, to still own your game. So just like several years ago, there was a tablets craze. Like the, everybody was saying that the tablets are going to replace the PC and the laptops and so on. Like it never happened. Uh, and, and I was already saying at that time, like it's never going to be like uh, one platform taking over everything else. It's, it's always going to end up to a point of equilibrium between between several choices because every, every kind of platform out there has its own uses and, and purpose and to, to be there, right? So you, you can't replace everything by a single solution. Uh, in a one-size-fits-all does not work very well. So same thing for, for gaming, I think. You will have cloud gaming that will work for very well for certain application or certain very limited devices. On the other hand, uh, I, I still think the, you know, the very powerful home PC that you build and so on, like you maintain it by yourself, will still exist and, and maybe thrive even more. We've seen the PC master race kind of community like expanding with, with you know, the, the social co networks around it. So I, I wouldn't be surprised that it keeps be becoming a, a still a very very uh, powerful force in the future as well. While maybe the more mainstream move to, to cloud gaming, but uh, still uh, there's a very core uh, audience of gamers who buy their games, own their games, and, and to uh, own their hardware as well. Yeah, there's always going to be a market for selling people $1,000 graphics card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. right now, yeah, they, they wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I look forward to continuing to build gaming computers as uh, as long as I can and hopefully forever. Well, that's, that's a very good uh, thing comment to add on. And thanks again, Luke, for uh, all your time. Just plan probably to reconnect maybe later in the year as as uh, Google, you know, uh, unveils their plan. I'll be really uh, interested to talk to you again and, and see, uh, you know, how much of what you, what you thought was going to happen actually came true and maybe how it was maybe different from what actually you, you thought would be happening. Uh, mm -hmm. So we'll be really glad to, to have this conversation again later on this year. Yeah, that, that'd be so fun. I'm I'm so excited. And honestly, you know, I'm almost, I'm more excited about the journey rather than the destination. So mm -hmm. this is just a lot of fun, just speculating and, and kind of seeing and guessing and trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, what, what was right, what was wrong, what was different than we thought. And totally, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to reflect on conversation okay, and everything yeah. that happened. Anyways, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad we got to hang out. And um, honestly, I mean, I'd love to just chat even outside of podcasts. It was, it was fun. Just, I, I just love geeking out about this stuff. This is why I want to do a <laughs> podcast. I just love talking to people about these things. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, even your 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 blog post I think was uh, was really interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I read more articles after that you wrote, but like, um, really like the fact that you uh, you were trying to explain, you know, how things work and and how uh, you know it's it's changing and, and things are progressing. Uh, I really see like the the passion in your writing, so uh, that's also why I think I was really uh, interested to talk to you today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've, um, yeah, it's funny. I've kind of. Um, it, going on social media and blogging, my main goal is actually to brand myself as like the Kubernetes cloud expert. And mm -hmm. along the way, I've just uh, accidentally or maybe on purpose have also branded myself as the Chromebook guy. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have a brand. Gotta have a brand, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was so funny. But hey, yeah, I love Chromebooks. I, I actually work off a Chromebook most of the time. And it's oh, I, just, wow. I can't believe how useful they are these days. Um, it's come a long way, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I mentioned this while we were talking, but like I, Chromebook covers like 90% of my use cases for like using it. And um, the only 10% is like, it doesn't support some file systems like BTRFS in OpenZFS, mm -hmm. um, not even ETX4. Um, it doesn't mount that automatically. So I don't know, those, those little limitations, they bit me in the butt while traveling. Um, so. so you do your gaming on your Chromebook too? Uh, okay, I don't. I don't do my gaming. <laughs> uh, when I am traveling, though, you you can't game. It has OpenGL acceleration. So um, I I was on a road trip the other week and uh, I was playing Shakes on a plane, um, like an overcooked ripoff. Um, worked great. <laughs> Just tell Proton to to use uh, OpenGL, like the Wine mm -hmm. D three D. How do you feel about the fact that you need to have a Google account and that you know potentially they are tracking a lot of things that you're doing in the in the browser and things like that? Yeah. So to take a step back, I actually I didn't understand Apple fanboys. I was like, this is ridiculous. You have like a lockdown ecosystem. Why would you want this? Hmm. And and now it's like hindsight 2020. I'm I'm this like Google Chromebook Android fanboy, and it's like, oh well, it's kind of the <laughs> same thing on Chromebooks too. So who am I to like? Just Mac users, so I, I've accepted the Google Overlord. The convenience they provide with a lot of their products is awesome. So yeah, it's it's definitely a trade-off, but I don't know. I'd rather have Google have my information than Microsoft, if that's uh, <laughs> that's anything. <laughs> yeah, someone someone's gonna have your information one way or another. <laughs> yeah, yes, especially if you're browsing, that it always goes pretty much to you know wherever is watching on networks. Yeah. Yeah, although I, I actually I have multiple browsers installed on my Chromebook Th through Linux. I've installed like Firefox and Velveeta and stuff. So All right. I, like I've I found some limitations in Chromebook. Like there's this really nice plugin I use to download videos, and mm -hmm. Google has blocked it because they don't want you downloading videos <laughs> from YouTube. So I have to use Firefox through the like Linux VM to download things and access a few websites. And do you have a working terminal in the Chromebooks? It's in the Chrome OS, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, you don't even need to install their Linux feature. Uh, there is natively a terminal. You can only do a little bit in it, but if nothing else, you can use like SSH. You Does can... it use Bash? Yes, yes, it uses Bash. Nice. Yeah. Can, can you can you install like I mean I don't know if, how it works in Chrome OS, but like um, can you potentially add repositories to to install packages from there, or how does that work? Oh, totally. Yeah. So because everything's running in a container in the virtual machine, right. you have like root level access to that container. Mm. It's De Debian 10 currently. So I see, I see, I see. Uh, yeah, I, I have a bunch of custom repositories in there too. So you can 
You can do whatever you want. You don't even have to use Debian. I've spun up like Arch Linux and used that as like my default container uh, before. Mm. That was that was fun. And I can <laughs> in the container, you can spin up other containers, which is useful for for my job because the Kubernetes platform I use it's all about how do you or- orchestrate and scale containers. So I'm I'm working with containers on a daily basis. <laughs> And for, for Chrome, uh, Chromebooks, like, do they use a BIOS to boot, or is that a different kind of hardware setup? Yeah, it uses uh, UEFI. Ah, uh, okay. And by default, it's like, more specifically, I, I think, okay, yeah, I don't know. They have some, some weird custom version of it. Maybe it's Open Boot Manager. I don't mm-hmm. know, but it's it's very locked down by Google. And mm-hmm. like as a workaround, what I'm going to have to do with my Chromebook now that's like end of life is once you unlock like disable all the security features, you can have right access to your, to your hard drive. So then you can install like CBIOS is like the recommended one. And then you can you can install anything, BIOS or, or UFI, it doesn't matter. You can just install either open source Chromium or uh, Neverware's version of it or Manjaro, whatever you want, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so when your, your Chrome OS device is out the uh, end of life, you can still use it as a regular Linux distribution, right? I mean, if you if you want to. Yeah. I mean, through, through the containers you mentioned, right? It's just like basically spawn a container and then keep oh, yeah. using it as, as a Linux machine, basically. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. You just get an annoying pop up that says, hey, your uh... Chromebook's end of life. Go buy a new one. <laughs> 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 but otherwise, it, it still works. It absolutely it still works. And I, I think the reason they're, they may or may not be, well, they are abstracting Chrome from, from Chrome OS. And I, I think part of that is, you know, you can continue to use it. Your web browser getting the security updates is probably way more important than Chrome OS itself because it's so yeah. locked down. Like I've never mm-hmm. heard of a virus ever happening on, on the Chromebook. <laughs> and even if it did, it's, it's like easy to fix and get rid of. All right, so that's going to wrap up today's show with Luke. Thanks to Luke again for showing up to this podcast and having a chat with us and thank you for listening just a couple things we wanted to point out uh number one luke mentioned to us that his views are of his own they are not representative of red hat ibm vmware or any other company and number two a lot of hard work and effort went into the production and editing of this podcast. So please, if you are willing, donate to our Patreon, our LibraPay, or Ko-Fi. We will have a link to those in the show notes. As always, thanks and have yourself a wonderful day.